Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas. dot com slash acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. We often think that successful business owners have it all figured out, when in reality there is so much more to it. I think anyone can start a business if they have the drive and the capability to learn and learn fast. But then very quickly you realize no one is going to come and help you out here. No one is coming to the rescue because it's on you. And yes, you've got investors. Yes, you've got friends and family and mentors and advisors. But that doesn't mean anything until this stuff happens. And it's like Mike Tyson quotes, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face, right? This week, I talked to CEO and co-founder of Ugly Drinks, Hugh Thomas, who alongside his co-founder Joe Ben set out to create a product that had authenticity at the heart. Since launching Ugly Drinks, the brand landed shelf space in some of the UK's biggest retailers, including Tesco's, Sainsbury's, as well as launching in the US. I hope you enjoy the interview and I'll be back at the end. So Hugh, welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet. You've been on an amazing journey, including launching into the US, which is where you are now. To kick things off, I'd just love to hear your elevator pitch. So who you are, what you do, why do you do it? Of course. Uh, thanks for having me as well. And it's great that technology is making this happen whilst we're all at home in lockdown as well. I hope everybody listening as well. Yeah, so um, I'm Hugh. I'm the CEO, co-founder of Ugly from the UK, obviously, as you can tell. But I do live here in New York, lived here for a few years now. Ugly is a refreshing, modern sparkling water business. We have a range of fruit-flavoured sparkling waters that compete with traditionally sugary and sweetened soft drinks and sodas. Ugly has no calories, no sugar, no sweetener, uh, no artificial ingredients. So it's like a sparkling water in a can that has different flavors. Uh, in the US, we also have an energy range, which has caffeine, ginseng, guarana, B vitamins in. So it's kind of like taking on the energy drink category. And we've built this to make water fun. So it's affordable, accessible. The brand has a sense of fun and disruption. Uh, we're not trying to promise that we're going to make you healthier, more beautiful, keep you awake all night, make you happy. It's just flavored sparkling water. It's a great replacement for that sugary, sweetened soft drink that you may have a, a habit or an addiction to. And you can make an easy switch and change out the bad for the good. And that's kind of the ugly truth of what we're trying to talk about. So um, that's who we are. And it tastes bloody great, if you ask me. I appreciate, I appreciate you saying that. I remember years ago, I was in Whole Foods in Kensington. And I feel like maybe you guys had first set up and you were doing like a sampling session. With little yep. shot glasses and all the different fizzy drinks. But I do remember trying it and thinking, this is going to change the game. It's so good. Can you talk me through how did 
ugly first come about? Yeah, so, I mean, it's a great story. So now, obviously, a few years later, if you're listening and looking at what we're doing, you know, you might go, how has that ever happened? How is that possible? But really, we started as basic as it can be. And that's why I always say, if if somebody's listening, thinking about starting a business, don't look at where we are today, look at where we started. And pretty much uh, most businesses are the same. We're getting close to where we wanted to get to now, but we started first step. So myself, my co-founder, Joe, uh, we used to both work in our very early 20s for the coconut water business, Vitacoco. So we learned a lot working there. I wouldn't say that sort of experience is essential. I think anyone can start a business if they have the drive and the capability to learn and learn fast. And we were selling coconut water. It's a healthier beverage. It's a slight price premium and acquired taste. And we felt that we could make something that was more affordable and more accessible to people. And so we looked at soda and the soda stats in the UK and in other markets. It's just so big and so many people drink it. And there's so many calories and so much sugar in those beverages. And when you drink it, it just goes straight to your pancreas, spikes your insulin and the health issues, whether it's obesity, diabetes or other conditions, are so easily influenced by excess sugar consumption, especially when it goes that quickly into your body. So we felt like that was, you know, it's the biggest biggest brands, biggest category. We're in our early 20s in London, probably in the pub. And we're like, how do we take this on? And despite working in the beverage industry, we still didn't really know what we were doing. So Google was a very early friend, how to start a company, how do I make a drink? And we just started the ball rolling there. You know, you go day by day, you're problem solving, you have a list of things at the beginning of the week, and you just work through them and you get answers, you make mistakes and you learn. And that's pretty much the same process we followed since for five years since is just keep learning you know the same when it's now we're in over almost twenty thousand stores in the u.s we sell online everywhere we launched in one store we launched in one store in london which was selfridges we then we launched into the whole foods and then we launched to america it's the same philosophy you like what do they say you can't eat an elephant all at once right you have to break it down into bite-sized pieces i always remember gc at gcse bite size i always (laughs) like that's how they taught you to approach these topics Why is it any different to start a business? Yeah, and so America's massive, obviously, and it can be overwhelming, but we started with one store. We did one customer and one store, one online customer, one store, one factory. And so actually, if you break it down, I think everything just builds from there. So if anyone's listening, you can obviously look at the supply chain, the complexity of what we're doing now, which is very complex, but it starts from one drink, one store, one, one person saying yes, and then you're away. Is it interesting that you were in your 20s when you started this? And do you think that that young, brave point in your life helped you to not feel intimidated to go up against these big dogs in the market? I often think that some of the best challenger brands out there came from people who were so brave and just went for it without yeah. necessarily knowing the rules and what to do and what not to do. Totally. And then and then decide to call it ugly on top of that, right? <laughs> I think those those decisions are very much uh, young, hungry, point-to-prove decisions and with nothing to lose. And, you know, I, I do think you go through phases in your life and that was one where we were rebellious, wanted to prove a point, wanted to disrupt the system, much like in any industry or art or music or whatever. It was a moment in time and uh, I'm glad we did it and I don't have any regrets. But um, certainly the result, ugly is the result of that moment in time for us, what was what we were seeing, how we felt about the industry, what our friends were feeling around, you know, can't get a healthy drink, why are all these brands saying the same thing? 
Do I trust the back of the ingredients label? And then even in the news, right, you had the previous president in the US inventing the phrase fake news. So even people started going, can I trust the news I'm watching? So we just wanted to create a brand that just broke through that and just told it as it is. But we're, we're inspired by lots of different things when we started and certainly inspired by other startups. Brewdog as a craft beer brand was a very big inspiration for us and craft beer in general and the way they were, were taking on big categories. And so Ugly is totally independent thinking, but it's also built on work of some of our predecessors like Innocent, Brewdog and other people yeah. that came before us and have made those same brave decisions. So it's like... A lot of inspiration involved in that initial leap to do it. You mentioned, obviously, the brand name, Ugly. It is bold. It is very out there. And when you came up with Ugly, how important was it for you to have a brand name that kind of enhanced the message that you were trying to communicate? It comes from authenticity, right? I think that's the first thing. Having worked at a big food company, I used to work for Heinz. um, So I worked on Heinz Ketchup. I knew that people in big companies can't take the same risks when it goes through that same process. So they it's very hard to copy somebody that's being authentic. So if we were trying to mimic somebody else, if we tried to mimic Brewdog or mimic Innocent's tone of voice, it wouldn't be authentic and, and you can't keep it up. Whereas the reason Ugly is so authentic is because every word that we say and the way it looks comes from us. And so no one can predict what we're going to do next because we, we're only we can do it because it comes from our soul. And I think too many brands nowadays copy styles, copy stylistic approaches. And so that's a big thing that differentiates us. But it was a massive part of it. Seth Godin wrote about uh, the purple cow and he talks about being in a train going past fields and fields of cows. And then in one of the fields, one of the cows is painted purple. And then you ask anybody what they can remember from the fields and they obviously remember the purple cow that stands out so for us it was always important that in that seat you know not that it's a field of cows but the beverage set is busy there's a lot of options a lot of great brands a lot of brands with a lot of big advertising budgets that we don't have so how are we going to be a purple cow in that sea of other beverages and so coming up with something disrupted that made you look that was bold in color bold in style didn't follow what everyone else was doing was really important so we don't follow that aesthetic of millennial brands with Helvetica and millennial pink colours and, you know, pastel colours. We are what we are, and that comes from the soul of the people who work at the company. Yeah. So very hard for someone else to copy it and replicate it because of that. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the soul of the company, and often at times, as a company grows and as a band grows, the soul can kind of get a little bit lost. It's sort of like they lose their value and they lose that initial purpose. And then once the brand gets to a certain point, they kind of have to revisit their why and revisit their purpose. And how important was it for you to build a team around you when you first started Ugly that had those same kind of core values that you guys did when you first set up the brand? Was that a big factor in building Ugly, the business? Yeah, totally. And as you asked that question, the first thing I think of was that Obviously, Joe and I are the co-founders, two like white young males. I think it was very important for us that we wanted to be a brand for everyone and therefore build a diverse team, agendas and backgrounds. So we now have, it does fluctuate as people come and go, but pretty much a 50-50 leadership team when it, in terms of male-female mix. And I think that's a massive advantage for us. And so, yes, there's the values of the organization that everybody has to play into, 
but also I think having a team that represents the consumer, or at least as best we can represents the consumer. And we're always working to become more diverse because we want more diverse thinking rather than just like white male group think. And like, it makes sense for everybody involved. It makes a better company, better decisions for consumers because, you know, everyone wants to buy products. And uh, I think that's a massive part of it. And then, as you say, the brand is the result of everything. So it's the emails we send out, the way we speak on the phone, the way we tweet online, the point of sale materials, the can. So like when we went through the design process, the can was one output of the brand. And I think quite often people look at the packaging and go, oh, that brand's cool. But actually, it's everything you do. It's, ev- it's the way your people interact. And it's, it, it's been tested over the last 12 months for everyone, right? What does the brand look like when you're remote working? It's a look very different. We don't have, don't have the office with the ugly fridge and everything else we have at the moment. We don't have the opportunities with us all scattered around the world to like meet up and hang out. And so replicating that is a challenge at the moment. That's why you have to hire people who share your values, share your value system, believe in the mission. And also that's why we've stuck, stuck at it so well through the last 12 months as well. So I think it's massively important massively important and and i think having a balanced diverse team that represents your consumer base is the is the big thing that we did that has paid off for sure and and values as you say they're so embedded within somebody right that if you hire the right person initially then no matter where you are in the world if they truly believe in those values and they live and breathe those values it doesn't matter about the kind of fridge as you said and whatever else it means because it's in them You've got a partnership with Girl Up, the charity whose mission is to help train young women to become leaders, which is exactly as you say, you were mindful that, you know, you were two co-founders, why young men? And I imagine that was a big driving force to supporting women in training to become leadership roles. But what made you decide to support this charity and go down that route in particular? There's a bit more nuance in it than kind of say Joe and I choosing that charity, I'd say. That was a team decision of, of our early employees. And it was something we felt very strongly about at every level. We felt that it was the, in the industry, in our other startups, in the startup world, we wanted to be a positive force. Going back a step, Ugly's always wanted to be more than just a beverage company. So we have a very clear mission against soda when it comes to the liquid and the beverage. And I think soda and sugar is really bad. And I wanted to create a product that people could easily make that switch for yeah so we talk about ugly and telling the ugly truth we said well there's the ugly truth of soda but we wanted to stand for a lot more and so as a team we sat down and said which ugly truths in the world do we want to tackle and one that kept coming up and there's there's more and we might tackle more in in the future and we actually have a plain water product here in the u.s where we support an oceanic global charity partner who removes plastic from oceans Soda companies are the biggest ocean plastic polluters. So we wanted to create a water product without any plastic. But Girl Up in particular, like gender inequality and the gender, the gender question really impacts every level of society. It, it impacts everybody, you know, whatever market, whatever country you're in. I say market for us, but UK, US or any country around the world. It affects the corporate world. It affects the industry we're in. It affects schools, our communities. And then also there's people in less fortunate parts of the world, in the third world, they're also impacted. And so Girl Up actually is a charity partner. We raise money by selling our product that donates to girls around the world 
A lot of those, that money goes to girls in the third world. Uh, for example, there's a project at the moment buying bikes for girls in Malawi so girls can get to school easily. Because in Africa and places in Africa, it's hard to get to school and that often limits girls making it. But also money from that goes towards girls attending events from around the UK or around the US, the Girl Up events. And so that money goes towards bringing girls together from less fortunate backgrounds in the US and UK as well. And it, just felt like a great charity partner, was important to us internally. So we donate money from every can sold. That's what, that comes from Ugly. And I think the, think our consumers got fully behind it. And I think that's reflected with, with our leadership team and the, the, the female component of it, I think is, has been massive for our business. And so that was just something we decided was, was a really big, ugly truth that needed to be tackled. It's incredibly refreshing hearing from a man in leadership position talking about it in such a public way because I often find that you get talks from women in leadership roles but I don't often hear it from men in leadership roles. I think as a starting point for anyone listening if if you're kind of thinking about it and you're thinking about your business and realising maybe you've not quite got the balance right I think that self-awareness is the perfect first step to then start thinking, okay, how can we tackle this? Being a white male, I'm not shy to say it's it has been an advantage in business situations. And I'm very aware of that. And I don't think that's right. With Ugly in the future, whatever is like making the the playing field more even for everyone to start companies. Because as you go, as I say, go into a supermarket, go walk down a high street in any town in the UK. There's all sorts of people buying stuff. And so entrepreneurs need to create solutions for problems of regular people. So they can't just solve problems of like middle class people in London or no, for Los sure. Angeles it like there's or a California. New business in a... Yeah, but if anyone's interested, wants to start that, let me know. I'll help you out. But you could uh, have yeah. a good co-founder here. Yeah, if no, I like it. Just taking it right back. So you obviously mentioned you were an employee at Vitacoco. You worked for Heinz at one point. How did you find that actual shift from employee? to CEO and co-founder and what were your key learnings from that transition? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, my route there, I started at a big company and then I went to a startup that was very early stage and then I started my own business. And I think that was like going down a slide and every step I came became closer to being that person. Yeah. So that worked quite well and like obviously when I started working at a big company, I was frustrated. You had a natural frustration. So if you can feel that you know, I do think part of being an entrepreneur is within you. It's, you can feel it. It's a fire that's burning, a frustration. So I, I've always been frustrated. I was, re- I was probably very difficult to manage in both jobs. Independent in my opinions and thinking and worked very entrepreneurially, I guess, and felt restricted in some of those roles. So I think if you're feeling those feelings, then it's a natural move. But for me, making the move from big company to startup, especially in early stage one where I was encouraged, wasn't like a startup with a 500 employees, like a tech startup. It was like hands-on, first five employees were making this work. I think that for me was like what I always craved. I knew I craved it. And then when I got it, I was like, this is for me. And then when you've, when you've learned that trade, then making the leap to doing your own thing feels more natural because you're spending time with people and found other founders who've done Definitely. it. So for me, that advice of like, I can't remember who says it. It's attributed to Mark Twain, I think, but it could be anyone's advice. But it's like, you're the average of the five or eight people that you spend the most time with. I've always been very conscious of that. So when I was at a big company, I was spending a lot of time, five or, you know, at least half the people I was spending the most time with were people working in a corporation. 
I then went to work at a startup and those people were more startup biased. And then my friends started becoming other founders. And then you're like, okay, I can do this. But that does take a bit of, you know, putting yourself in those environments. I know there's great courses, great online forums, events in the UK that you can attend where you can start building the people around you to make you feel more like you fit in versus sitting in the big company and going, wow, that industry, that looks pretty intimidating. I think you can actually start attending events, absorbing it, putting yourself around those like-minded people. It's like anything. If you want to lose weight, hang out with people who are healthy, right? Don't hang out with people in the pub. It's kind of like that, I think. Like making the leap from the pub to the gym is a lot harder if you're always going back to the pub, right? But if you actually start hanging out with people who have those habits and have that mentality, then you, you, you'll either like it or you won't as well, and then you can make that decision. But I think putting yourself in that environment is kind of what I did. I know that from when I was working at a startup, the, the experience I gained from that role, because it was like you, it was about five people when I joined. And then obviously over yeah. time, it, it grew and grew. But it was one of those things that you're doing so much that when you actually go on to your next thing, you've realised how much you can handle and how much you can take on and the knowledge that you've gained in that time. And whether you apply that to being a manager or launching a company or whatever it is, I do think it's a very helpful environment to realise your skills and to learn a hell of yeah, a lot. It's a really great point. It's a really great point. And, I, and I, it's like, I think startups are like painted with this like really exciting, it's a fun life, get to go out with your team, everybody's young, there's a pool table in the office. But in reality, from my point of view, it's a context for it. It's like people get hurt on a daily basis. Yeah. It's like you have to be resilient and it's not for everyone. And I think a lot of the system of startups is wrong. I think a lot of it is unhealthy for founders. I think a lot of it is unhealthy for early employees. I don't think people get rewarded fairly always. So I think a lot of it needs to change. So it's like, it, it may look exciting and fun, Getting involved and trying it out is a great way of doing it. But, you know, everyone finds their own path. I don't want to glamorise the startup life. That's no. Like, that's the only way to work. Like, it's definitely not the most balanced existence. And, I mean, you obviously then went on to start a business, which effectively yeah. was a startup. So did you take on what you had learned whilst kind of an, as an employee and apply that in a positive way to ugly in a sense of turning around and being like, okay, this is going to be how the, we manage our team. This is going to be the culture. Did you use what you'd learn in a positive way? Yeah, I think it's a double, I think it's a double-edged sword in the sense that there's a lot of great things I learned and probably also some habits and ways of doing things that I could have shaken off or that maybe could have been done better, but because you've learned them one way, you stick with that way. Well, I think it's particularly helpful from the culture side and understanding what it what a great culture looks like. I did think Vitagoco had a good had a good culture, and I, I do love that company and I love the brand and changed my life for the better. So there's a lot of things we did borrow, but I wouldn't say that it's essential or always helpful to have prior experience. I think there's there are some mental shackles that you have in terms of well, that's how we used to do it. You know, in an industry that's changing so fast, certainly over the last 12 months, it's like how we used to do it. I mean, how we used to do it five years ago couldn't be more dated than it is now. Like, the world's changed so much since then and accelerated. It's like, you almost need to look at it fresh and be like, well, why can't we do that? Why couldn't we deliver beverages direct? We didn't have direct consumer when I worked five years ago at Fidescoco. Now, ugly sales hundreds of thousands of cans a month direct to consumer, you know. But even then, like things like Shopify, all these tools have moved on so much that 
approaching approaching any of these industries with a totally fresh set of eyes, I think is important. Just flipping it on its head a little bit, obviously when you started the business and you're a co-founder, so it's obviously slightly different because you've got that partner in crime to kind of bounce ideas off and the rest of your team. But did you find that you suffered a little bit more from kind of isolation and kind of business owner isolation when you took that transition? Because I guess when you're an employee and you work for a team in any company, you've always got that that level of my manager can take the blame. And it, it ultimately comes down to you. Yeah, talk, talk me through how you found that. That's a great question. That is like basically entrepreneurship in a nutshell, right? It's like you, that realisation where it hits you, where it's like, it's, it's on you. And we actually had it very early on. So we we left our jobs and we did a first production run of drinks. And then four weeks later, actually, we'd we'd made a mistake somehow. We still don't really know what it was. But in the production where all of those cans ended up having a shelf life issue where they started to turn and the product wasn't as like safe to drink. Not safe to drink, but like it had like bacterial growth in it. So we ended up having to destroy it all. So we just like left our jobs, raised some money and done a production run. And, and then obviously you don't know what's gone wrong. So you can't just make a production run the next day. We, we sat in Pret-a-Manger in Shoreditch, head in hands, like, how has this happened? But then very quickly you realise no one is going to come and help you out here. No one is coming to the rescue because it's on you. And yes, you've got investors. Yes, you've got friends and family yeah. and mentors and advisors. But that doesn't mean anything until this stuff happens. So it's like Mike Tyson quote is everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face, right? <laughs> it's basically what entrepreneurship is. It's like, cool, what are you going to do now? And so I think very quickly, Joe and I at that moment were like penny dropped. And we were lucky to get the penny drop in month one. Definitely. Some founders don't get the penny drop till like month year three and they have a load of success and then something happens, right? Like a pandemic or something like that. But I know I'm not alone in saying that happens to all startups and just no one talks about it. But I think that's the big thing. It's like taking responsibility and it's a constant growth process. You know, very easy, especially when you're tired or stressed to like point the finger, point blame on someone else, whether it's you know, Copac or an employee or whatever. But at the end of the day, buck stops with you and you're responsible for all those decisions that led to that point. So you have to fix it. And that, whether that sounds good or not, if you're listening... That's the reality. <laughs> so if you want that lifestyle for five years or a decade, then this is the route. But it's, it's, it, has, it comes with consequences. It comes with sleepless nights. It comes with a lot of stress. And as you said, as a founder, sitting down with other founders, making friends, networking, all of that sort of stuff, to have that kind of sounding board with people in a similar position who understand what you're feeling probably in a deeper way than, than somebody who's not in the same position you said that that's really, really helpful to do. But do you think that because of the nature of Ugly, you're in a unique position where because of your brand and because of the authenticity behind your brand, you on your own social media as the co-founder of Ugly are in a really amazing position where you could speak openly about all of this stuff because authenticity is at the heart so tackling any problems as you said the ugly truths of anything whether it's entrepreneurship or any you know you could talk about that whereas I do imagine that there are other entrepreneurs business owners in other spaces who perhaps have a very different business strategy a very different online presence for their brand and therefore do find it hard to have that kind of 
openness with other people because they're expected to be I imagine it with a lot of like fitness nutritionists and people like that motivational speakers they're on it all the time so I reckon they feel this real sense of nervousness to suddenly post out oh I'm sure yeah they're probably not putting the Instagram picture of their cheat day in the hangover <laughs> on their Instagram just whether it's public or whether it's in private, I think being authentic with people you can trust is important. Whether, you know, those people that you mentioned there, as long as they're like being authentic with the people around them and opening up to the right, I think that's important because otherwise this stuff can drive you insane. And like everybody else looking, going, oh, how do I reach that height? It's like that you can't really judge what success is and what really matters when everything's so perfect and people have different support networks right family friends other you know networks but not every network is built to deal with the complexities of found the founder stuff and i think early on you can like weigh down your family relationships or other friends or other close you know partners whatever with your business issues but like they're your issues and you need to find other ways to process them whether it's with therapist a coach uh, other founder friends other mentors because you can't go home at the end of the day and then rant about some work stuff that the other person's not involved in. And I just think getting that balance yeah, is so important. would assume. And also, I think another big thing is imposter syndrome and not feeling embarrassed to reach out to somebody as well and thinking, oh, they're going to think I'm this, like, full-time. No, well, <laughs> it's a really good point. Again, everybody that you reach out to was in the same boat. And that's why I think the industry's great because all the founders got help up the ladder. So they generally are all willing to help someone else up behind them. And then when you get that opportunity, you should pass it on as well. And I think that's why I think food and drink's great, because I did notice that very regularly that people do that. Yeah. At least we've been offered lots of help to get to where we are. So asking for help is like the number one, number one thing to be able to do as a founder, because that's where you learn quickly. If you believe you can do it all yourself, like you're in for a tough ride. 
So obviously a couple of years ago, you moved out to the US and you, you've launched into the US market yeah. and you started with that one factory, one store. But how did you decide that that was the right move? And on a personal level, how have you found moving out there, managing your team completely remotely, but not not just remotely the way I work with my team, remotely on a completely different time zone? Well, I, yeah, that, I mean probably write a book on my move right I mean it's one of the the biggest personal growth things that I had to do I'd say definitely the most difficult thing I've ever done forgetting the business just personally certainly certainly the age I was at in my late 20s leaving this really solid group of friends and family back home to like leave with one suitcase without knowing when I'd ever come back if I ever come back right because I'm following this this journey um, a bit like the Hobbit, right? Someone said I'm like the Hobbit the other week, like Bilbo Baggins leaving the leaving the Shire. Kind of what it feels like, and there's a bunch of dragons out here that are scary. But like that's kind of that's the thing. It's like like going on an adventure where there's no no end necessarily, and that takes a lot of getting used to. And I still don't know if I've got used to it. And then you check a pandemic in the mix. I've not been back home for what, 16, yeah, 18, 17 crazy. months at this point? And crazy. Spend a, yeah, then you're like no office anymore, so you're working remotely at home and you've got people in different markets. You know, we've got people in California, Atlanta, Tennessee, London, New York. It's like, it's pretty crazy, but I just keep trying the hardest. And um, I'm so driven by the mission and the vision we had that it's, that's what fires me up every day. And like some days it is really difficult. Yeah, last 12 months in particular... It just it seems like a blur. And and then I look, I'm just like, even my whole time in New York feels like that almost. Because not really anything's happened in London since I moved here. But then you just the learning curve of moving here is just so steep. And the development development as a business person, development as an entrepreneur, it's like this is the ultimate place to be an entrepreneur, in my opinion. I think you said you mentioned the, the, the time zone thing there. I think when you're sat in London and you're like, oh, launching in America, that sounds pretty pretty great the time zone thing is the thing you just can never like you took me honestly a year a year or so to get used to the fact that if you've had a hard day at work and it's 6 p.m here everyone back home is asleep so i can't pick up the phone and go oh just fancy a chat right and you know when you wake up in the morning your phone's full of messages and like it's easy to i found it really hard initially to not not jump into that and like have my time for myself like whether it was working out or you know because so easy can go and jump into a a big whatsapp group thread or back into emails or slack but yeah moving to america is not for the faint of heart happy to talk it through because it's been great too so just on a separate note obviously it goes without saying that your journey has been quite crazy and like a proper whirlwind adventure that you've been on but this is a question for you specifically so what is it that you would say is your business superpower so the thing that you bring to the table that you feel like nobody else does well nobody else I don't know I think I absorb information and join the dots quick quickly whether it's quicker than anyone else I'm not sure but very capable of like understanding how networks and influence works. So like, oh, who does that? They do that. Okay, that trend applies to that product. That's why that's working. That's where things are heading. So I think that helps me kind of see where things are going and join dots very quickly in terms of problem solving. So, 
okay, we've got this problem. Who do I know who can help unlock that problem? Because I've just been, you know, listening, meeting people, networking over a long period of time and read a lot, understand a lot, absorb a lot of information. I think that allows in those really crunch moments things to piece together really quickly. I'd say that was my superpower. I think that's a great superpower. Obviously, as you know, that this podcast is all about proving financial metrics aren't the only measures of success. There are such bigger, deeper reasons why people get into business. As you said, you know, just having that entrepreneurial thing in you that means that you're frustrated when you're not a business owner. And that frustration is is sometimes the driving force in general. And you've got that in you from when you kind of first get your first job out of college or school or whatever what does success mean to you outside of the financial metrics oh it's it's a really good question you know if you asked me when I was like 21 what success looks like it'd be very different to now and I think having met a lot of people who've made a lot of money as well I know that money doesn't solve all the issues if anything it seems to create more so for me success with success with ugly so if I speak specifically about ugly it would be the brand's longevity for a long period of time I'd love it to be something that is available in lots of places solving that problem for people for a long period of time even whether I'm working at the company or not I'd love it to be around for 50 100 years and I've always set out with that in mind like this should be a hundred year plus brand like Guinness or Heinz or Coca-Cola that's kind of what I was aspired to do um, so for me that would be success right if it if it's still around in 50 years even if there's no financial success for me personally like that would be success I think to be able to still pick up a can when I'm 80 or something I think the other thing that I've always thought is I love I love seeing what people do after after they work at companies and I know Vitacoco is great because so many of the people I work with have gone on to do awesome things and I would love people who work at Ugly to go and do that themselves. I don't know what that looks like yet, so we're still quite early on in the journey, but I'd love there to be a legacy on that sense. But that's what success is. Ultimately, it's about making impact, isn't it? So whether you're impacting the people immediately around you or impacting the industry of what we set out to do, I think that's kind of what success really is. And then personally, I think finding balance, I know we just spoke about it earlier, but Going through that like initial startup phase, I think long term, it's like I've got to find more balance, whether it's health, physical health, mental health. That's the key. Like I say, balance isn't necessarily always a daily basis, but certainly over a long period of time, finding that I think is what success will be for me. I think nobody has a balance right now. I will say that. I think I think COVID has shot balance right out of the window, to be honest. Hopefully it's in your future. And last question what is next for Ugly? What's, what's, what's coming? Yes, I mean, so many things. We just announced in the US that we're launching a range of new flavors that we actually tested online with our consumers last year as limited editions, but now we're bringing them back as unlimited editions or forever flavors, as we said. So we're doing a cherry cola flavored sparkling water. Uh, we've done a Dr. Ugly, which is flavored like a very famous doctor flavored drink, with an orange soda, fruit punch, many more that we've launched. We launched a root beer blue raspberry flavor. And it's really just bringing that nostalgia to the sparkling water space. And so we're actually launching those products here in the US in about 15,000 stores next month. So yeah, it's an exciting time, but it's uh, it's weird to be doing it all from the same apartment that, I'm, that I've <laughs> been in. So like, it sounds good, 15,000 stores, but I don't know how many of those I'll actually be able to visit. So The doctor flavor sounds lovely. I'm sure British consumers are going to come up with some crazy stuff. So I'm actually looking forward to seeing that survey probably in the next couple of days. I'd personally love an espresso martini flavour. Espresso martini flavour? All right, noted. <laughs> I'll put that on the list. I will, I'll see how many other people suggest that. I will put it on the list.
Thank you so much for joining us today on Beyond the Balance Sheet. And I really hope that we can chat again in the future because you've been great, but there is so much more that I want to pick your brains on and talk to you about. I've really enjoyed it. If anybody does want to reach out to me, I do my best at uh, getting back to everyone. But if you do have any specific thoughts or questions on anything I said, I'm Ugly Hugh on the internet everywhere. And I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find my email address incredibly easily. But I'll do my best to help anybody that's thinking about starting a business, launching in America, any of the stuff I reflected on in terms of burnout and mental health and that whole stuff. Happy to talk about any of it. So just let me know. But thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. The story of Ugly Drinks proves that even in the most competitive of markets, if you have a product that truly stands out with values and purpose to support it, you can capture the heart of your target audience and take that much needed market share. Stay tuned for my chat with business advisor and accountant Lee Manning, where we discuss the key learnings from this episode and I pick his brains on how important he thinks having a deeper purpose is to business success. If you liked this episode, go and have a listen to the rest of the series in series one. We are Raffingers and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn at Raffingers. Alternatively, you can check out our website www.raffingers.co.uk. I have been your host, Ashley Bloom, and this has been Beyond the Balance Sheet. Thanks for listening and we'll have another episode for you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.